All right, it's Gersh Kuntzman of the Brooklyn Paper Radio. I'm also of the New York Daily News. I don't know why I'm speaking in this voice, but I'm joined, of course, by Vince DiMasselli, my co-host and cohort from Brooklyn Paper Radio. Vince, of course, is the editor-in-chief of the Brooklyn Paper, a paper I used to edit. Yeah, last I checked. I did well. I did well when I edited that paper. You did, you did well. It's Brooklyn Paper Radio now. So I'm off at the failing Daily News. Vince is still here at the Brooklyn Paper. It's like a little media mogul he is. You're like a mogul. You're like a mogul. I wish I were more of a mogul. Anyway, it's going to be a great show, and I'll tell you why. We've got... I love going skiing and going over the moguls. Yeah, okay. we got a great show. Our John, Johnny, our producer, is here. Hey. <clears throat> Johnny, we have an amazing show. You don't know this guy, but I do. Buzzy O'Keefe. No, Johnny doesn't know anybody. That's okay. right. The legendary owner of the River Cafe. And when I say legendary, I noticed the other day, legendary got thrown around because a Mets groundskeeper died, and the headline was legendary. legendary. I mean... I love the groundskeeper, but legendary. But in the case of Buzzy O'Keefe, it's applicable because when he opened the River Cafe 40 years ago, 40 years ago this week, 40 years ago, on the river, what we call the North River, which is the, no, no, that's the Hudson it's River. Not we, on call, the river. we call the West River. We call it the West River, yes. Instead of the East River. When it's, he opened that restaurant actually 40 years ago, it's a title straight. It was not a place you'd want to have a fancy restaurant. You know what? The word genius is thrown around a lot lately, uh, Gersh, these well, days. Yeah, yeah. Especially Steve, when, applied, when applied to me. Buzzy O'Keefe is the Steve Jobs of, of restauranting because he saw something that no one else saw, and he yeah. made it work. And not well, only that, it's like it's like it's right in front of you. Yeah, he saw something which was a low-priced city contract on a dilapidated pier. I mean, come on. He got a little bit of a sweetheart deal. No, I don't think so because this is what you can understand about that. Like, No one was willing to do anything. Down there. That's true. And if you could take advantage of that situation because you see something that other people don't see, more power to you. Right, I well, don't care if he pays a dollar a year for that. I really don't. Wow. That's not the Vince DiMaselli who rode Bruce Ratner all the way to the poorhouse on Atlantic yeah, Yards. To the poor That's house. not the same Vince DiMaselli who rode the Brooklyn Bridge Park Cons- Corporation all the way to, to Ignomini. Yeah, that's that's what I've done. You can all see right, it's they're, the same they're, same Vince. They're anyway, all out begging on the street. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't say, okay, so we're gonna have Buzzy O'Keefe on in a couple of minutes. And also thank our sponsors, Village Care Max, of course, and Dr. Joseph Lichter, the best damn dentist. Dr. Not a whorehouse, the best damn dentist in Brooklyn. Dr. Lichter. I always start the show the same way. Yes, you do. And that is by leaning over to a handsome man on my right, Vince DiMaselli, and saying, Vince, you're a handsome man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Gersh. We have booked it. We've done it. What? Me and Evil Bill and my dad are going to the Yankee game on August 26th. August 26th, Yankee game. It is a Saturday. It's a 1 o'clock game. After the game, guess where we're going for dinner? Because we always go to a steakhouse. Of where course. are we going this year? The Palm. Nope. Did that last year or two years ago. Oh, good guess, then. It was a good guess. Try another one. Peter Luger. No, we're not doing Luger. We've never done Luger, believe it or not. I think Luger's overrated. I've gone with Billy, but not with my dad. Let me ask you another question. Do you have an extra ticket to that game? If I did, I, that's where I put my jacket. <laughs> Full disclosure. The reason I asked that question, Johnny, our producer, is Evil Bill is has been Vince's friend for decades. I've never met the guy. Nope. One time he had an extra ticket to a Yankee playoff game. Okay. And I said, no, 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 no. Not a Yankee playoff game. It was 2009 World Series okay, game that's six. A, that's a playoff game. World Series game oh, six, wow. the clincher. So I said, Evil Bill, you can't get rid of the ticket. I'll buy it from you. I'll buy it from you for face. I'll buy it from whatever. He says, no. I'd rather have a place to put my jacket. Oh, man. That hurts, right? <laughs> so not rough. only did he not get the payday, 
he didn't get a chance to enjoy a baseball game with Gersh Kuntzman as Vince DiMasselli did last week with me and Anus Tapa, and that show is worth listening to. We those talked were, all about and it. those are great seats, by the way. They were great seats. No, now, no, with Billy. Okay, thanks. <laughs> now let me. We got to get out of that. I just have to say, Vince. I, I didn't tell you though. We what steakhouse? Old Homestead. Yeah, I like the Old Homestead. I, now they have you know the prime rib. Don't do Kobe beef. I hate that. Kobe no, beef. I don't do Kobe beef. They're doing the prime rib. Yeah, I like a prime rib. Now, the prime rib at the Old Homestead, from what I hear, is literally the only prime rib in America. Every other prime rib that you buy is not actually prime rib. It's the second rib. It's because <laughs> Old Homestead gets all the prime rib. It, there, there may be some actually truth prime. to that. There may be some truth to that because I know they're very proud of their prime rib. And something, Johnny, get, stop me if I'm wrong, but something has to be prime. Sure. And then it's that rib. Right, right. Because if it's a different rib, it's not the prime rib. I went there once, and you you think a prime rib, right? I, I think about it all the time. No, you. But when you think about prime rib, you think about like like that prime rib special on Tuesday night at the, at the Steaks and Chop House or, ste- the or Steak Pub. Remember right? Steak Pub? You know, and the salad like, bar. And it's just like, who's having that prime? It's like Beef Steak Charlie. That's because they're having the second rib. It's not prime. What they're having is not prime. And when I went to Old Homestead, and my sister in law, Daniela from Brazil. Oh yeah, is she in the Rolodex? Yeah, she said. Mr. Scott, I will have to the prime rib. You know, like that? Yeah. She said, I will not get the prime no, rib. I will get the prime oh, rib. I will get the prime rib. I'm like, what do you want a prime rib for? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. This is not the prime rib. Like, you know, like Mr. Scotty mom or like this. You know. I don't know if I should be offended by this impersonation. I mean, it's a member of his family, so I guess oh, it's okay. okay. Yeah. That's, well, is there really an accent I'm working on there? I'm not sure. <laughs> That's an accent. I don't know what it is. All right, we got to get out. The fact of the matter Wait. is she had the prime rib Look and it was here. so good. So good. How good was it? It like your brains fell out. It was oh. that good. Oh. It was brains falling out. Good. That's a good prime. So rib. I can't wait to go. Normally I order like a you know a filet mignon. I'm getting the prime rib. I hate the filet mignon. I know we've been through this. All gosh. right, uh, we got to get out of that scintillating steak discussion. We got to talk a little bit about Gersh Kuntzman at the Failing Daily News and not happy about it lately because of the nature of the news business. And I'm talking about how it's in the tank, but. What a day Gersh Kunstman had today. You know what I did today, Vince? Sometimes you got to make your own happiness, Gersh. You got to make your own happiness. What did I do today, Johnny, our producer? I went around with my rogue intern, a news topper. He's, as you know, the Anderson Cooper of Nepal, working for me as an intern this summer. And we decided, you know what? I'm sick of Ernie and Nastas getting all the credit with his headshot at every diner. You see his mug everywhere. Everywhere. Ernie fucking Anastas. I'm just trying to eat a burger. I look up, and there's Anastas staring down at me. Nothing against Ernie Anastas, but I decided, you know what? There's no deli diner or dry cleaner in Brooklyn that has Gersh Kunstman's headshot in it. Well, we we It is a problem, and we changed that today. Handed out about 30 headshots all up and down 7th Avenue and Park Slope. So if you're on 7th Avenue and Park Slope and you see a lot of my headshot, mission accomplished, you're welcome. If you're on 7th Avenue and you don't see my headshot, something has gone terribly amiss. How many headshots did you hand out? About 30 headshots. And like what types of places you went into? Diners. Okay. Dry cleaners, pizzerias. Uh Had a great reaction. Johnny put up this picture. Had a great reaction at Roma Pizza on 7th Avenue. They they actually took a selfie with me. They were so excited to have my headshot. Went into bookstores. Any business where I had done any business before where the owner knows me went into my liquor store i went into the old you know the old carriage inn on seventh avenue and seventh street i went in there the, the, and i spent a lot of time under the tables at the old carriage inn so i gave her the uh the headshot i signed it thanks for all the sauce right yeah. and the the old lady behind the bar was like yeah put it over there and i literally hung it on the wall myself there you go 
So fantastic. So Ernie Anastas, fuck you. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> fuck you, Ernie Anastas. But not nothing against. No, Ernie nothing Anastas. against Ernie. I love you, Ernie. But I fuck you. Ernie. I love Ernie Anastas. Were there any Jim Jensen ones? Did you find oh, any Jim, Jim Jensen? A little old. You're dating yourself there, Vince. I love Jim Jensen. We gotta get out. As I was walking, Sue today, Simmons. Any Sue Simmons? There were uh, there a bunch of Sue Simmons, especially in the gay bars. Interestingly enough. Hmm. So I gotta get out. But as I was walking around with a news tapa, a news who's from Nepal. Mm-hmm. Says to me, Gush, and this is, and by the way, that was not an offensive accent. That's exactly how he talks. Okay, Gush, and you, you can... want to do a news having a conversation with my sister-in-law? No, all right, fine. Let's try it. Gush, yes, Mister Anus. <laughs> Gush, I notice in Park Slope there are very many businesses out of business. Why what? Is... What is this Park Slope of what you speak? I have no idea. How do you say? Why are there so many businesses out of business? I see out of business everywhere, and then it, it dawned on me. And we're going to call this segment Gush Kunstman's Brain Droppings. Uh-oh. Okay, nice. got a sound effect for that? It, it occurred to me, Vince, and you should put a story, a reporter on this story. Why would a landlord want to close or, or, or and you know, often it's because rents have gone up. And rents go up because of what the market will bear. I know that, Vince. You're going to give me a lecture about conservative economics. But if you're a landlord, why would you rather not keep a rent-paying business in business rather than have a, a, an out-of-business sign or closed for, for whatever for months and months. Sometimes it goes a year and a half. Scalino will, closed a year ago on 7th Avenue. I will never understand that. And well, what is it? I don't know. This would this would happen on Montague Street. Mm-hmm. When I used to work over at 26 Court, there were places that were empty for years and years and years. And it's like you couldn't tell me that somebody wasn't going to rent that place. But who has the money to just let... I mean, if you're a landlord and you have the money to just let a, a place sit vacant... I, I don't understand Let's, why that happens, but it, that's all it can be. It's like, you know what? They're not getting what they want for it, and they're being, you know, they're taking their ball and they're going home. No, but let's talk about that ball, okay? So, Scalino, I know this place, a restaurant, 10th, 7th Avenue and 10th Street. Good restaurant. And they did what? Their rent was $10,000 a month, okay? Okay. And they were probably making it because they were staying in business. All of a sudden, the landlord raises the rent to 14000 a month. A now, you do the math. That's almost impossible for Scalino, which is barely getting by. But even if they could, so they go out of business. Now, that place has been vacant for more than a year. That's four. That's 10,000 times more than a year. Yeah, so 10,000 times 12, say. 120,000 that that landlord was willing to get rid of, right, rather than just get the 120,000. Crazy. No, it's but it's not just crazy, Johnny. It's something else is afoot there. That, in other words, either, and I read a story that said that a lot of these landlords are taking some sort of tax break because they're now losing money. But I don't think that's fair that, that the taxpayer has to has to bear that cost. In other words, if you're a landlord and all of a sudden you you have this asset that's not making you any money, you have to take a you're loss on a that. Loss on it, yes. So do, do the taxpayers of the United States have to have to bear that cost, just as we do when we bail out Detroit or we bail out Donald Trump? I mean, I'm, seriously, I think there's something to look at that a landlord would have a vacant business for more than a year. That could have just been paying him rent. We need to speak to a professional on this, Gersh. Well, Somebody... I reached out. I reached out to Chris Havens. He hasn't gotten back to me. Chris Havens, of course, one of the greatest real estate brokers in downtown Brooklyn and Dumbo. And we say when we say greatest, we mean that in the sense that he will always talk to us. Always. Unfortunately, he's probably on a sale right now. Yeah, he's very busy. And we got to talk to Buzzy O'Keefe in a couple of minutes. Now, before I reach well, out, Buzzy to... might know about that. Buzzy might know about. He's that. a restaurateur. All right. Speaking of restaurateurs. Bring that up. Speaking of restaurateurs and yep. speaking of paying some bills, let's open with a commercial. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. Because I don't want to ask Buzzy O'Keefe the question that I would ask you, Vince. Which is? When was the last time you saw a quality dentist who was truly affordable? Well. When did you do that? Well, you know me. It's easy for me. 
Why? Because I go to Dr. Joseph Lichter. If you go to Dr. Joseph Lichter, the question is, when was the last time? The last time I saw Dr. Joseph Lichter. Here's why. I don't know why I don't have any sound effects. I want it, but the computer's like dying on me here. Here's why. Lichter has the lowest prices in Brooklyn. And it's not just low. He's got a state-of-the-art <laughs> dentistry office with hygienists and doctors and <laughs> patients. All you got to do is listen to some of these prices. You want those uh, Invisalign braces, the ones that go behind your teeth? $3,900. Not $5,000 or $6,000 you'll pay in Brooklyn Heights. Good okay? price. A very good price. He's also the dentist for the New York Riveters. So I say go to Dr. Joseph Lichter now. Start by making a phone call. You call him at 718-339-7878. You set up an appointment that will make you smile. JosephLichterDDS.com. See what's possible when healthcare. No, you don't know how to do it. You don't know how to do it. First of all, you're supposed to say, hey, Gersh, have you had sex recently? See what's possible when healthcare. Vince, Vince, ask me if I've had sex recently. See what's possible. Ask when... me if I'm getting any older. See what's possible when healthcare gets personal. Village Care Max. That's a Medicaid managed long term plan. It helps you continue to stay at the home that you love and live in and in your community for as long as possible. And having sex. Because a team of healthcare professionals will work with your doctor, helping you obtain the best healthcare options available to you. You can't say it. You can't say that. Would you want to get more information no. about this? About Village Care Max? Yeah, I do. I want. Well, you, you could call one hundred four six nine six two nine two, or you can visit Village Care Max online at villagecaremax.org, because Village Care Max. Allows you to live the life and have the sex you want to live. See, that's what I'm saying. You don't want your kids sending you to a nursing home, Johnny. Village no. Care Max. All right, we paid some bills, and the reason we did that is do, so we can do, have an do, uninterrupted do, do, do. conversation with Buzzy O'Keefe. Vince, you've been in Brooklyn a long time. I've been in Brooklyn a long time. Yes, sir. Buzzy O'Keefe gets a lot of credit for being one of the original. I don't know what I don't want to call them hipsters, but the original Brooklyn Renaissance guys. Not that Brooklyn wasn't great before the the brownstoners and the yuppies came. There was a lot to Brooklyn, as anybody who lived here a long time ago would say. Correct. But there was a period of time post-war where Brooklyn had lost its uh, its balls. It lost its balls. No, I think people would argue that it actually had more balls back then. But Okay, you're right. It lost something, though. There was something missing from Brooklyn, and that was that we're the fucking center of the earth. That's what I mean by balls. We're the center of the earth, Vince. I think something happened to Brooklyn along, you know, during that time. I think it was much like the Bronx. It was it was thought of as like crime ridden, and when not crime ridden, it was just a you know, I don't know. It was just crime ridden. A place of blight. Yeah, it was blight. You know, urban renewal project when needed. they when they opened up the uh, the hotel. Over here, the Marriott, they refused to call it the Brooklyn Marriott. That's correct. Because they were and that afraid was, of the connotation. That was already into the new century. I'm talking about in the it 60s. Was late 90s. I'm talking about in the 60s, Vince. And we're going to talk to Buzzy O'Keefe about this. So when he opened the River Cafe. Well, he opened the River Cafe in 1977. Okay. 1977. I was six, six years old. Yeah. And I was 12. And remember something, Vince. Yeah. 1977 was, in some ways, the nadir. Oh, my God. You're twice my age? <laughs> Is that that metric math you're doing again? <laughs> yeah. No, in nineteen seventy, you were six. If I, I, you were twelve, I was six. Yeah, you're twice my age, Gersh. I'm double your age. I'm one hundred and four years That's old. How it works? <laughs> no, when in nineteen seventy-seven, when historians go back and talk about the summer of Sam 
and they talk about the municipal crisis and the bonds and all that. They think about and the 19- Yankees, the blackout. The blackout was seventy-seven. Okay, the Yankees were good then. But the point is, Reggie when you Jackson, talk baby. about New York in nineteen seventy-seven, yeah. a lot of people think about that as the nadir period. That the was worst. the worst. Yeah, could very well have been the worst. I was just, I actually just watched like um, an old YouTube. I, I saw an old YouTube of Saturday Night Live from nineteen eighty-four. And they had on uh, Rich Hall was playing Bernard Getz. Remember Bernard Getz? Oh, sure, sure. But that was a little later. But yes, I know, but it was 1984. It's only seven years later. And what did Bernard Getz do? Like he shot people in the subway. Well, he literally shot four guys, I think, in the subway. Why did he shoot them? Well, he claimed they were trying to hold him up. He and claimed what did they say. Well, they they claimed he shot him. No, I mean, they said they were asking for change to use the phone. I don't remember the phone detail. Yeah, no, they needed they change did, to make a phone call. They did, as you know, they did have sharpened screwdrivers on them. He hadn't seen them, point of information. He had not seen the sharpened screwdrivers when the gentleman approached him. He panicked, and he also later testified that he had been riding the IRT that night as a vigilante, in almost in hopes that someone would challenge him. But, I don't remember that. Yeah, that, that was a detail that came out later. And the fact is, he is the kind of guy who... It was that period of time in New York where, where guys like that were like, oh, you know, just just push, push my button because I want to shoot you. I mean, that's crazy time. Yeah, it was like Clint Eastwood, Death Wish, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, Charles Bronson. If you remember Bernie Getz, he was anything but Clint Eastwood. Digging anyway, tunnels. Anyway, we got to get out. We got to call Buzzy. Do Great you want to make the call? Do you want to make the call or you want me to do it? Uh, I think we can make the call. All right, make the call. Vince, do me a favor. Do not let the reader or the listener hear the number. I'm going to show you how to do this, Gersh. Because I, I did no, I did it. some tests on this. Is that mm. it right there? Yeah, that's it. And that's okay. That's a six. Okay, I got mm-hmm. that. Okay, right, here we right? go. Here we go. Ready? Now, watch yeah. how we do this. You ready? Let's Kids at home, do, do not listen to this Let's number. Let's see if I can do this on one shot. Nine. No, you just hit six for some reason. You just hit six. You're you're, you're all over the place. You're dying six four seven. All Let's right. try that again. What I'm is under this lot, I'm under a lot of pressure. Nine one seven. <laughs> Don't steal this number. Okay, okay now you won't have to, right? Now watch this. Ready? That now good. watch what happens. Ready? You want to open? No, you do. Don't don't screw it up. That didn't sound good. No, he's trying his best. It's Buzzy O'Keefe. Gersh is going to talk to him. Sniffing Jimmy. <laughs> what was that? Better call Saul. Nice. We are a minute early. What's he on the can? <laughs> Your call has been forwarded. It's literally on the can. Can you hang up there, Vince? System. Yep. I'm ready? Okay, good boy. All right, we're going to reach out to him in a second. Anyway, we're reaching out to Buzzy O'Keefe. Um, in later generations, Johnny will just edit that part out. And we'll, yeah, sound, sure. we'll sound like geniuses. Uh, but. What was that? <laughs> Very tired. But to introduce Buzzy O'Keefe, because we don't want to do this when he's on the radio, he really did open the River Cafe. In New York's darkest time, 1977, along the East River, what the what Manhattanites call the East River, we call it the West River. Here in Brooklyn. Right there under the Brooklyn Bridge in what is now called Dumbo. I don't even think it was called Dumbo. Yeah, it was called Fulton Ferry Landing. Fulton Ferry Landing, where the Fulton Ferry used to leave from, obviously before the Brooklyn Bridge was built and changing everything. But that's hundreds of years ago. We're just talking about 40 years ago. A very different Brooklyn, a very different New York. And Buzzy O'Keefe restaurateur and legend, was at the forefront of change. Why don't you reach out to him again, Vince? All right, let's try one more time. Let's try one more time. The buzz. Can I just hit read now? Terrible. 
Did you pull it back up again? Hey, is that Buzzy? Hello. Buzzy O'Keefe, this is Gersh Kuntzman and Vince DiMasselli Hello. from... Hello, Buzzy. This is Gersh Kuntzman and Vince DiMasselli from Brooklyn Pepper Radio. How are you, sir? Oh, yes. So, how are you? How are you? Forget about us. We're fine. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Buzzy, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are live on the radio and dedicating our entire show to your tremendous achievement down there at the foot of Fulton Street in what is now known as Dumbo at the River Cafe. So first, congratulations are in order. Well, thank you. 40 years. Now, I got to say, we got to start right at the beginning, Buzzy. When you opened in 1977, did you see, did you even think we'd be having this conversation 40 years later? Well, nobody sees 40 years down the road, but I, I being that everybody uh, in, in my world thought I was crazy, uh, this is police uh, chiefs, police inspectors, bankers, every bank turned me down. Uh, all my friends, people in the restaurant business, they all thought I was out of my mind. So obviously, I wouldn't have gone ahead unless I was convinced it was going to be a success because I saw something that they didn't see. Okay, so let that's what Vinny and I were talking about before you came on. What is it that you saw? Because 1977 was a very different New York, sir. Well, it wasn't 77 when I saw it. It was in the 60s. Well, there you go. <laughs> it took 12 years to get approval. Wow. So what did you see? What ha what did you see back then that, that nobody else could see, that people called you well, crazy? I, I, I grew up on the water. I used to fish the spring as five, at least five days a week. Um, uh, uh, I, I know about it. I built a dock when I was 16. I've been boating since I was about 12. Uh, so... Uh, I saw a place that had access, you know, the New York waterfront. I'm, I'm, uh, I understand the mechanical, the engineering problems. So in Manhattan, you couldn't, uh, there was no access to fire apparatus. There's no fire hydrants. There's no water. There's no sewer. So when I saw this space, which I, in Brooklyn, you know, I, I was born in Manhattan, uh, raised on the this little community in the Bronx, but moved back into Manhattan again when I to school. Uh, <clears throat> so I saw this space in Brooklyn. I said, well, it has to be in New York, but I guess the best place in the city to put something like this was near the Brooklyn Bridge. So I, I saw that as a place where I could have a garden, I could have a driveway, I could make it a little bit private. Um, I could have parking. There's people, my customers weren't about to walk there. Mm -hmm. So no, you saw then. you saw this as a destination restaurant underneath yes. the underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, yes. and I read in the Times today because they did a big piece on you that you were just driving by. You happened to look down. You saw it down there, and it well, was like a I've like bolt of lightning. Searching for location for years, and then I was um, actually coming home from the from the army, and I was on the BQE, and I looked over and I said, "Oh my God, what a view!" Then I got off at the Cadman place, and then went down to the bottom of the hill. And <clears throat> discovered the lot. It was a, it was a parking lot. It was used mostly by the longshoremen, who were working on the piers. It was just an empty parking lot. Mm -hmm. But and, who owned that parking lot? It was a city-owned lot? Oh, the city. Yeah, the city owned the parking lot. So at some point, you convinced them to to put out a what a contract on that, and you and you won the bid, or how'd that work? Uh, well, it, it, there was no bid. Nobody would do anything. It was. Everybody was leaving town. Uh, 
uh, if I put my money into real estate on Madison Avenue, I'd be a wealthy man, a very wealthy man, uh, instead of doing a restaurant. Restaurants are a lot of work. Uh, um, you so might even be president. It, 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 it isn't like anybody else wanted to do it. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else wanted to do it. So if you put it up for bid, you wouldn't have any bidders. So you really didn't have to twist any arms in the city side. They were probably happy to have you do it. No, I mean, after 12 years of twisting, finally they decided it was under the Lindsay administration. They decided maybe we can take a shot. And uh, we have this man who's running some successful restaurants and maybe he can do something to ignite this area in Brooklyn. So when you when you opened, though, finally in 77, who were your customers? Were they Manhattanites coming over? They knew you as yes. a restaurant. They knew it was a good yes. restaurant. Yes, they, they were from Manhattan. Everybody was from Manhattan. But Brooklyn Heights was a fairly well-established neighborhood at that point. It, people it, just it wouldn't is. come down? It, it is. And the people in Brooklyn Manhattan people came first. The Brooklyn Heights people came later. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, why do you think that was? Uh, well, I had a lot of uh, friends in Manhattan, and I had businesses in Manhattan. Um, I, I guess what happened to us not long after I opened Paul Goldberger, the Times architectural critic, wrote a story, you know, about doing something in this desolate, godforsaken area. Mm -hmm. So that helped. The New York Times has I mean, had a long uh, and helpful history with you. Pardon me? The New York Times has been helpful over the years. Well, they've been helpful. Sometimes, they're not always so helpful, but they were helpful a few times, yes. <laughs> and look, we're fans. Even, even though we're with the Brooklyn paper, and as you know, I'm with the failing Daily News. I'm a fan of the New York Times, yeah. the failing New York Times. Anyway, Buzzy, though, you when, when the, from when you opened, it was always a high-end restaurant. It was always a fancy restaurant, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, you're, if you're buying the very best raw material, you can't give it away. You have to charge more. But just full disclosure, just the, so the, the very best of anything costs more. Yeah, and I, well, we know that here at Brooklyn Paper Radio because you should see Vince's salary, obviously. But no, full disclosure, so the listeners know, I have been to your restaurant as a paying customer, and I have always been satisfied. And I'm the guy paying the bill. So, and Vince knows how cheap Good. I am, Buzzy. That's true. Yes, and it, as I said, it's a destination place. When my wife and I, uh, when her father came to visit us here in Brooklyn for the first time, where do we take him to dinner? The old homestead. Oh, yes, of course. You have to. <laughs> no, the river, the river, river cabin. Cabin. We walk across. Well, I think we walked across the bridge after we ate. Oh, nice. Nice. You know, you got well, to walk it off. Either way, whether you walk it across before or after, it's a great thing. And when I opened the restaurant, there was nobody walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you can't even get across because there's so many people walking now, across. Now it's great. You drive over the bridges. You all those people. It, it turned out to be a great thing for Brooklyn, certainly. Uh, I mean, but Brooklyn also had the ability better than other uh, boroughs, not Manhattan, but I mean Queens or the Bronx or Staten Island. It was easier to redevelop Brooklyn. The, the, uh, Brooklyn was uh, developed way before the Bronx. Yeah, why, why so, is that, Buzzy? Because so, I talked to people a lot about why Brooklyn was perfectly suited for that and Queens wasn't. Why, why is well, that? Well, well, we'll take the Bronx first. Uh, when they started to build apartments in the Bronx. And when they were building houses in Brooklyn, they were building townhouses. When they were building buildings in the Bronx, they were building quarter blocks, square blocks, half mm -hmm. blocks. So when rent control came in and, and killed them because nobody, you could, 
you couldn't raise the rents, but all, everything else went out. The, the buildings were abandoned by the landlord because they couldn't afford to keep anymore. It was better just throw it away, and uh, otherwise you're losing a million a year. So because of that, the city lost over a million and a half, close to two million apartments because of rent control. Um, I'm not into high rents, but the, the, the free market would have been much better. Uh, the rents would be much lower today if they didn't have rent control because you'd have an extra million and a half, two million apartments. So you could rebuild the brownstones in Brooklyn. You could go into neighborhoods and buy a house, and you're frank to buy a house. Before you know it, you get the whole neighborhood to, you know, catches on, and they start building houses. In the Bronx, you had to rebuild. You couldn't go in and take over an apartment house that was uh, 100 apartments. You just couldn't do it. So uh, uh, that's why that's why the... It had to be done by big companies. That's why Brooklyn had the ability to, to bounce back sooner because there were individual homes. And, uh, you know, there, and it was a great spirit in the people in Brooklyn. I mean, they had the Dodgers there for years, and that's another silly thing about how Moses and the city really made the Dodgers move. They, they forced the Dodgers to move, and the spot that the, that the Dodgers wanted to build with their own money laid empty for the next 25 years. You know, I mean, you know, you know the Brooklyn people really know that story. It was the city and Mr. Moses who caused the Dodgers to move, not the Dodgers. Well, we did it. We did uh, do. We did do a whole show on that, Buzzy, a couple of weeks back, and uh, uh, you should go back and uh, take and take a listen to it. But it's clear that you know Buzzy Gersh is a fiscal uh, conservative, much like me. Very, I, I got all that. But my question to you was, when you got there and you finally opened up, it's been a twelve-year battle. Did you think that this was going to happen to Brooklyn? Did you see this coming in the future, or did you just? Well, think I, did, I didn't know. I, I saw Brooklyn uh, had much more. Uh, uh, the, the people in Brooklyn had much more of a community spirit. It was, it was a different. Uh, uh, it was a different thing that was going on in Brooklyn. I didn't know exactly how much it was going to develop, but I, I could see the area that. Uh, that developed around there. The land was so cheap that people had to buy it and develop it. It was just so cheap. Uh, in that time, you could buy, you know, any place in Manhattan to get, you know, you go into the best areas in Manhattan, the most expensive ones, and you could buy buildings for peanuts. So Brooklyn was the next most important borough at the time, and, and the prices were even less expensive uh, uh, and but you can see some beautiful buildings being bought up and redone thank god they're done i see and i see it going on now i see my my staff the young guys in the film business buying houses in flatbush i mean neighbors places that i knew when i was a kid because i traveled to brooklyn too and some of the neighborhoods were just wonderful you know just and now they're all Bouncing back. Yeah, I don't know Great. if you, I don't know if you can hear the sound of that. It sounds like somebody's kicking himself. That's me, uh, Buzzy, because when I moved to Brooklyn in '88, I didn't buy right away, and it was still affordable, and I made a big oh, mistake. Oh, it was still affordable. I know, but I mean, look at like the guys who bought into Red Hook for peanuts. Yep. guy you know bought into uh, Dumbo. Even people. Uh, I looked at buildings for friends of mine because I knew something about them. Down in Tribeca and Chelsea, they were like. Half blocks with the two foot thick walls. I mean, the Butterwick pattern building, and it was four hundred thousand uh, dollars for the whole, and it was immaculately clean and wonderful. And people were just bailing out because they were they thought New York was going to uh, <clears throat> collapse. And, well, so they thought it was ungovernable, but they they were wrong. How come you invested in New York 
and you know in the river cafe putting your heart and soul into all that stuff well, I, I, when I everyone else didn't think, uh, i didn't think new york was going to give up and i didn't think it was going to sink and i thought brooklyn was going to come back pretty quickly which it did and um uh, and, and and i was uh, see people said the neighborhood was dangerous and i said it's not dangerous at all i said it's it's a void. It's devoid of life. I can I can live with in a desert. I say, but it's not a jungle. It's just empty of all people. There's no crime. There's nobody to rob. There's nothing to steal. It's just empty. I I can deal with the emptiness. Uh, and I made a little oasis. I mean, that's what everyone wants to do: is make an oasis for the city, in 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 the middle of the city on the waterfront. And and that's what turned out that happened. I did make that oasis in the city. You know the irony um, on the waterfront, and it's a you know, the park areas that we maintain. We cost us a lot of money to mm. do that, but it's it's really beautiful. It's it's probably the most used park per square foot in the city of New York, and it's open. You know, people wandering through there even at midnight. You know, we have to close it up sometime when we leave, otherwise, you know, things will happen. But uh, um, it's just a beautiful, safe. It's a hundred percent safety record. In all those years, no problems, and it, it's so clean and so immaculate that people are afraid to throw paper on the ground. You know, they don't want to because it would stand out like a sore thumb. So, so that's kind of like the what do you call it, the broken windows theory. If you keep it uh, really pretty, uh, people will respect it. So you're telling I mean, me people sometimes get married in there, mm-hmm. and, and the park is always open, and the people, you know, they they, they respect it. They watch and they're very quiet and. And it's uh, really very interesting to see. In all the years you guys were down there, you were never robbed or anything like that? No, no, nothing ever happened. See, see, what happened, people forget, you know, sociologically-wise. I mean, the politicians, I'm not sure, don't know. That every, every important area in New York that came back was first brought back by the cafes and restaurants that opened there. Whether it was the Upper East Side, up, Upper West Side, whether it was Soho, whether it was the East Village, whether it was Dumbo, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, uh, the first, the first people into those areas are the younger people who had the, the courage to go in mm-hmm. and open up a small place because the younger people need a place to stay. So. Uh, that's exactly what happened in Soho, exactly what happened in Tribeca, in the East Village. It's the young people go first, and then they open cafes, and the same thing happens. Like, look at Williamsburg, and look what's happening in Greenpoint. And it's the young people who go in. It's, it's not the all the professionals who want to be on wherever it is, where it's safe and quiet. It's the young people who went to these, and they end up being the eyes of the police department. I mean, I, I can't tell you uh, Mark Thompson runs the Brooklyn Ice Cream Factory. The police rely on him because of all the cameras around the place, and they see that. And 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 you know, a lot of really good young people started working at 14, 15, and you can see some of them advancing, becoming, you know, getting all kinds of degrees. And and the, and they're the people who spot something going wrong right away, you know. So the the restaurants, really, and cafes are the eyes and ears of uh, of the police force, and the police know that too. I mean, I, I, couldn't I don't mean troublesome places. Some people have very troublesome. I'm talking about nice cafes and restaurants. And there's always <laughs> people who 
do anything to make money, and they 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 attract a very bad crowd. But that's I'm not discussing that. that those people shouldn't even be allowed to open. Speaking of, but uh, I mean, so that's what happens in these areas. Is, is the restaurants that made when you think about it, you can see how clearly it is. Uh, uh, they're the first ones to come in. So uh, I wasn't afraid to come in, and 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 it was desolate. So there was nothing to scare people away. Hmm. I mean, when I first ordered produce and things over the Brooklyn Bridge, I mean, a lot of the purveyors thought there were Indians there standing with bow and arrows and spears. And they were they were almost reluctant to go over the bridge. I said, "No, no, it's safe. It's fine. It's no problem." You know, it, and uh, it's funny we talk about restaurants. One thing we haven't talked about is the food. I'm getting hungry here, Buzzy. Now, if I come down to your restaurant, obviously I'll be treated like a king because I am Gersh Kuntzman. But what what's on the menu? What kind of food do you serve? Like I know you, you started the whole new American thing in a lot of ways, and you're definitely part yes. of that trend. Is that still what you do there? Say it again. Is that still the food you serve? That kind of new American. You know, well, it was just, uh, it, it was, uh, my idea was, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the classic training was French. I mean, that's just the way it was. Whether you were working for Russian royalty years ago, 150 years ago, you went to study in Paris first. Um, uh, but so I wanted to have a great American restaurant, and, and uh, but just not stiff or anything, a little more friendly, a little looser. Right. Uh, when I say loose, I mean perfect service, but just not people standing up tight, look, look, giving you, like, nasty looks. Right. <laughs> so so the, the American thing, it was there's so much stuff here to use. There was so many, so many things that we have here. You have to remember, Europe didn't have tomatoes or potatoes or chocolate or so many other things before the New World was discovered. You imagine right. Italy being living without tomatoes. And they stole the spaghetti from the Chinese. That? I mean, imagine Pardon that. Me? They stole the spaghetti <laughs> from the Chinese, too. Yes, of course, of course. That was Marco Polo bringing yeah. back the pasta. But they didn't have, when they brought back the pasta, they didn't have the tomato sauce. That came, and that came 150 years after Columbus, mm -hmm. or 100 years mm -hmm. after Columbus, because they thought it was poison in the beginning. Um, I mean, so there were so many things that we had here. I mean, I had friends, Tommy Mack, his father was a fisherman in Sag Harbor. You can't get the Baconic base scallops anymore. They're so limited because the red tide killed them all. I mean, it was like eating candy when I first uh, <clears throat> brought, I mean, he'd bring them into the place. And, and then uh, the stone crabs, uh, I mean, they, they don't always write it up correctly. Uh, uh, a friend, Mike Kowalski, went down to uh, Everglades City and, and stayed there for a few days and, and watched. And, and he got the, the most sober fishermen. They were all heavy drinkers. And he made a deal with them. And then we had to send down the packets and the ice packs and teach his wife how to do it, and then we were the first ones on TWA, excuse me, not Eastern Airlines, to fly mm -hmm. in uh, fresh stone crabs. And, you, you outlasted uh, Eastern Airlines, I'll tell you that much. And TWA. <laughs> yes, I mean, so you know, we had so much, so many things that were nearby coming in. I mean, nobody even knows. Today we have a little organic garden in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn, not near a roadway, not near any exhaust. It's about 50 feet from the harbor, and it's uh, and it's all organic. And we save our fish remains from when we trim the fish in the restaurants, and we freeze it. And then when the fall comes and all the crops in, we we bury the fish well, remains. That's, that's old school. That's like ground with uh, nitrogen, and then the next year the tomatoes are gigantic. <laughs> Isn't that what the Native Americans taught the pilgrims to do? Plant a fish? Yes, of course. That's where, that's where it all came from. 
Yeah, see, I would have or eaten the fish. A, a grammar school history book when well, the Indians were teaching the settlers to put a piece of fish in with their corn. <laughs> I don't know why they taught the Absolutely. settlers. If I was, if I had How been did a, they learn that? You mean, no, 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 no. If I had been a Native American, I wouldn't have helped the settlers. I mean, that's just me, because I knew what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to talk about the American Indian and what the white man did to the European, did to the American Indian. It was just, I mean, they were here first, and they... they, they, they the European settlers did was just atrocious. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, talk about it. Uh, talk about a Holocaust. I mean, it was just they just wiped them out. Yeah, that's you know? well. We talk about that on the show a lot. We talk about that, and we talk about all the stuff that we've done, and, we, and we're embarrassed about it. We bring it up, Bessie. We're not afraid to, yes, to bring I it mean, up. I, 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 I'm a big fan of the American Indian. And what was going out there at uh, what is it? Uh, um, uh, the place where they were trying to stop the pipeline. Oh yeah, Keystone uh, I mean, XL. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with him. You can, you know, it's like, listen, the governor wouldn't let them frack upstate New York, and, right. and I think I know a lot of guys who have land up there, and they wanted to frack for the money. I said, yes, I said we can live without the oil, but you can't live without clean water. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing New York has is this great system of, you know, keeping our water pure. So the governor was very prescient, did the right thing yeah. by not allowing it, even though getting so much pressure from the commercial sources to, to frack. You know, it's funny you mentioned... So I admire you, you mentioned the governor the, did a very wise thing. For you that. mentioned the governor and the environment. You know, the president of the United States supported that Keystone pipeline that you mentioned. Has he... Has I pres- know. President I know. Trump well, ever I'm been... Obviously, I don't, uh, I don't agree with him on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> but has he ever been a customer? He must have been to the River Cafe oh, at some yes, point. Oh, yes, yes. I did the catering on his boat, uh, hmm. his big yacht, the Khashoggi's old boat, which was... He hmm. renamed it the... Uh, I, I guess uh, the Trump princess, Ivana. And, 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 uh, I would have been surprised if he didn't did have his name. I did the catering on his boat. Huh. But has he ever been to the restaurants he, physically? Uh, pardon, me, so, pardon me? Has he ever been to either any of your restaurants physically? Uh, yeah, he used to come uh, to one of my earlier restaurants, Pear Trees in the Beekman Tower, where we had these beautiful, beautiful young ladies working there. Oh, well, we had... It turned out that we had these handsome trust fund guys. I didn't hire them because it had just happened that they were in New York and they were friends of friends. Uh, uh, it was funny, and they were just great guys. And then we started getting these girls from the U.N. because we're right near the U.N., and the first girls that came in were like Miss Iceland in the Miss Universe contest, Miss Denmark in the Miss Universe contest. Who then would become hostesses at the U.N. when they didn't become Miss Universe. You know, they just... Uh, uh, so that's the kind of girls we had. And, and you, you know what the kind of women he likes. He likes these beautiful women. Of course, he was a customer. Mm, interesting. No, I mean, I don't know. But he, was, he was okay. He was, there was nothing. There was nothing. Uh, you know, he was just a, a was, normal guy at the time. Was there anything presidential about him? Well, well nobody would. Uh, you know, there was, it was full of a lot of Wall Street guys and advertising guys. So you know, I, I don't think anybody was looking at anybody at a as a pres- on a presidential basis. Well, but you've had other presidents eat at your restaurants. I, I know. As a- wait, wait a minute. I, mean, I, I, have, I, have a, I have a restaurant near Grand Central. Yeah. It's my public place that they asked me to do. And I could go in any morning for breakfast. It's, not to say it's the busiest breakfast place in Manhattan, in New York. Uh, and any morning, pick out a team that could run the government. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, you know, some of the people he chose, McMaster and Tillerson and 
Mattis uh, uh, and Wilbur Ross are, are pretty top-notch, and I'm, I'm sure they're as shocked as many other people at what's going on, but they themselves are, are pretty pretty good picks. So we're lucky in that way, as long as they don't all resign. <laughs> but so you're a New Yorker. What is going on? You have a better perspective than almost anybody. You've lived here forever. You know New well, York. What, what's well, going on? Every, every, it's really kind of sad the way one party. I mean, I've watched the Republicans persecute when they're in power. They will prosecute the Democrats. And when the Democrats are in power, they'll prosecute the Republicans. And people have gone to jail for something that it should be less than a misdemeanor. Uh, I mean, they make stuff. I don't want to take the time to give you the stories. I give you case by case how how unjust it was and what they do to one another. So, I mean, this whole thing about Russian influence, uh, I see thousands of people a week, intelligent people. I don't know one who was influenced in his vote by anything the Russians did. Now, I'm not vouching for one party or the other. I'm just saying I don't. everybody was dissatisfied with the choices. <clears throat> they didn't like one, one side or the other. Um, but nobody I know was influenced. And you can ask them. Nobody, Russia had no influence. And, and, and it's a different age. I mean, people have been spying on one another since the dawn of civilization. And our, our job, my, my job in the military was to, was to get information on the adversary. Mm-hmm. And the adversary is a country's name, Gamleth and R. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just standard procedure. I mean, that everybody is is trying to get information on every other country just so they keep, get a leg up. Now, um, the only thing that's changed is now it's a digital age and, and the whole world has changed. Nobody, you tell young people it wasn't an iPhone 20 years ago or computers and they're shocked. Well, really? They think they existed forever. This is all brand new. All stuff that Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates brought about more than the entire American government since it was founded. They had did more to influence humanity. Uh, so kids thought becoming the experts, you know that, and, mm-hmm. and then the kids grew up, and they became the experts' experts. So, of, of course, the game became hacking, and then it became professional hacking, and then what can you do? But there's all this commotion going on. Of course, the Russians are trying to get information from us. Listen, we had we had U-2 spy planes flying over Russia, I mean, for years, and satellites, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. They should be worrying about the Chinese hacking and taking all our secrets, our top technology secrets, and nobody's saying a word about it. I mean, that's that's the real danger. Nobody's, uh, I don't see what the Russians are getting these days. I mean, they're trying to, you know, anybody is, everybody's hacked. The technology has changed. They were just a little bit ahead of us and a little bit better than us. So what's the big complaint? Maybe they better get on the ball and start hacking back. But it's not influencing me. It's not influencing the thousands of people I've spoken to. I don't see the hacking doing anything. The biggest thing they can do is take scientific information. But every country is doing it to one another. I mean, it's, you, know, you think you think everybody's not trying to hack into Iran or Israel's not hacking? Or, uh, I mean, it's... Israel, for instance, if Israel was polit- were politically correct, they wouldn't exist. They have to be a realist. You know, the Israelis are realists. They, they have to work with the world the way it is, not some 
made up political correct uh, thing. Yeah, Buzzy, Buzzy. Um, we, anyway, we got you off the top. We went all the way from the Brooklyn waterfront. I know. I know. We're now we're into politics. How the hell are we getting? Well, no, because <laughs> you wanted to get up into the orbit with Gary Powers in the U two spy plane. But let, let's yes, go back to the yes. Brooklyn waterfront. <laughs> let's go back to the Brooklyn waterfront for a second. And I'm yes. curious because Buzzy, you have a bunch of restaurants. What's next for you? Because you've been so successful in Brooklyn. What's next? Well, you'll see. I'm what? not going to talk about it right now. But you know, we're, we're always trying to perfect what we're doing. Um, so I did that years ago. Uh, if, coming. if you got a scoop, we, we this is the place to do it. You get the Brooklyn paper bounce. Uh, I, I know, but I, I still have to uh, <clears throat> listen. They, they can't even keep the White House from leaking. Mm. I mean, what the heck is going on? I mean, even the head of the FBI admitted leaking information. I was shocked when I heard that, you know, <laughs> leaked information. But so I'm I'm not leaking an information until it's the right time to leak no, but if, information. If you so leak I, it, it's not a nothing leak. Really, I know, I know you're gonna ask me to leak it, but I'm no, not gonna no, okay. leak it. just just for the record, if you leak it, it's not a leak. It's just a, a press release basically. Well I know it's not the <laughs> yes, then it would be an announcement. <laughs> Fair, that's what I mean. An yeah. announcement. That's right. We, and we're open to that. You're, you're, you're very good at what you do. Well, you're that's very, that's very the second time I've heard that today. I'll tell you that. And the first time I was with my girlfriend. Hey, oh, anyway, Buzzy O'Keefe, <laughs> we got to let you go. But I got to say, anyway, I'm a it was nice. It was nice speaking to you. I'm a big fan of your restaurants. Uh, and, uh, and 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 Brooklyn is certainly it deserves all the hotness it has these days. Well, really does. And and it's all thanks to you, Buzzy. It's all thanks to you. Well, a little little bit to me, but a lot to the people in Brooklyn. All right, we'll take some of that credit, yeah, but, take a but you are a great restaurant. Ladies and gentlemen, Buzzy O'Keefe from the from the River Cafe, open 40 years. You can read about it in the New York Times today and obviously on Brooklyn Paper Radio. Buzzy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take thank care you. of yourself. Now, I always say in a situation like this, I say, what a guy. I mean, seriously, a real Brooklyn guy who's been doing it for 40 years on the Brooklyn waterfront, longer than I've been doing it. Much longer. <laughs> Thank you very much. much right. That was an incredible interview. He went all over the place. He went around the world. He did. We ended up in the spy plane with Gary Powers. Where did I start this? In, where did I start the show? I said he's the Steve Jobs of of restaurant tours, and, and he brought it right back to that. He took it all the way around. It was unbelievable. You can't take anything away from Buzzy O'Keefe. That was incredible. But before we do that, when are we going to the? When are we going down there? We gotta get down there. We might be going down there after the show. That'd be nice. All right. If I had Buzzy still on the phone, you know what I would have said to him? You would have said to Buzzy O'Keefe, are you looking for a dentist who provides quality care at an affordable price? You know what he would have said? I don't know. What would he have said? Of course I'm looking for that because most of the time I'm at my Manhattan dentist. Who isn't? You know why? It's because the dentists and skilled hygienists of Dr. Joseph Lichter's state-of-the-art office, they use the most up-to-date technologies and techniques to provide you the best experience possible. You know, I was having a conversation with my son today, Gersh. Really? I was talking to him on the phone. And he said to me, he asked me about a word, and I looked it up, and I was reading the definition of the word. Was that word vagina? It was not. Oh. And I was reading the definition of the word from the dictionary, and he said to me, you know, Dad, I have determined that people have two voices. The voices that they use when they're talking to people, and the voice that they use when they're reading to people. He goes, and you are reading to me, and I could tell that you looked that up. And with that in mind, I would just like to say... Dr. Lichter and his staff perform traditional dental procedures such as teeth cleaning, fillings, root canal therapy, and tooth extractions. But in addition, they offer the latest in restorative and cosmetic dentistry, including implants, porcelain veneers, and crowns, bridges, and more. These are procedures that can make a broken smile look like new. You got a broken smile? 
You want it to look like new? Am I reading this or am I saying it? Sounds like you're saying it. There you go. Call Dr. Joseph Lichter's office today at 718-339-7878 to set up an appointment that can improve your quality of life. He's out there in Midwood, 1420 Avenue P, between East 14th and East 15th Streets. Visit him there and online and every place else. Lichter. JosephLichterDDS.com. Yeah. It sounded like you you were reading for a while and then you, then you went off and then you didn't get the facts out. Did your son resent that you were reading to him? Is that the issue? No, he didn't resent it, but he pointed out, like, he didn't know that I had looked it up. He was asking me for uh, the definition of a word, and I looked it up on the computer, and then I was reading the definition, and are he... You sh- are you sure that word wasn't vagina? It was not vagina. Okay. So, Vince, it's funny, because you tend to read the ads, but I, I sort of kind of embrace our, our advertisers. They're part of the family, as far as I'm concerned. They are. And... It's funny you mentioned your son because my son is going to put me in a fucking nursing home. I know it. But I'm not going to let him. You know why, Johnny? Why? Because I got Village Care Max. That's right. Village Care Max is going to work with my Medicaid. They're going to work with a team of professionals. They're going to work with my landlord. They're going to work with my doctors so I can stay in my home and not be taken to a nursing home. So you want to know about Village Care Max? All you got to do is go online, villagecaremax.org, or call 800 469 6292. Village Care Max slogan is live the life you want to live. You got to live it, Gersh. Live that life. Look, I, I'm i not a Dinesh D'Souza fan. I don't even know what that means. But I just got texted by a, a friend and a listener of Brooklyn Paper Radio saying, just had my first Dinesh D'Souza sighting because Dinesh D'Souza works for Dow Jones, as my friend does. And she is so excited. She had her first Dinesh D'Souza Sighting. Fill me in. No, I'm not going to. You know what I'm going to do? I'm no. going to reach out to Lauren Gill, one of the Whoa. best damn reporters in the world. Do you know, you know her number by any chance? Of course not. I just yell at her. I say, Lauren, what's up? I could open the door and... I think she's here. I dated a girl named Souza. So. Yeah, I dialed the wrong number. <laughs> Try it again. You're hitting all the wrong buttons. This is Jim. Who's that guy? Just hit drop. I'm in. I've got to drop. All right, so I want to get her in here. Because okay. The Dinesh D'Souza thing. Really What's her extension? Me. It's actually 2511. You can call her anytime you want. 718-260-2511. She's Lauren Gill. She's a reporter. The reason I was calling her is because we had a Dinesh D'Souza sighting at Dow Jones. And I say that's like a Lauren Gill sighting at Brooklyn Paper. This reporter here. Can bring her in? And so I want to bring her in so I can have a Lauren Gill sighting. Lauren Gill at the Brooklyn Paper. That's a Lauren I'm Gill's voice right sounding. Now, it's a Lauren Gill well, sounding. It's as good as Dinesh number. D'Souza. All right. So hang up. Hey, Johnny, just do me a favor. Yeah. Open the door and just get me a reporter. You got it. Just any get me reporter. Any, any, reporter. any reporter. Any reporter. Any reporter not named Colin Mixon. Because they're all a dime a dozen. Literally, a dime a dozen. Just find me a dime. Give me a reporter. Who do we got? Who's there? Yeah, we're doing it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Who are you grabbing? We'll do it live. This is, like, unbelievable. We'll do it live. Let's do it live. What does that mean to play us out? What does that mean? <laughs> Fuck it. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. We'll do it live. All right, here she comes. Here she comes. Who's Lauren coming? Gill, ladies and gentlemen. Come That's on Gilly. in here, Lauren. The reason we called you in, we only got a couple minutes left in the show. 
We're running out of time. Friend of mine now got a job at Dow Jones. You've heard of Dow Jones. They published the Wall Street Journal, among other and they products. And they have a very famous industrial average. <laughs> I've heard of that. She just texted me and said, I started my job today and had my first Dinesh D'Souza sighting. Dinesh D'Souza. Now, you know, it doesn't matter who Dinesh D'Souza is. He's nobody as far as I'm concerned. And I said to Vince, I want to have a Lauren Gill sighting because she's the best damn reporter you got. I'll say it. I don't care who's out there. So, Lauren, I just want to know what you're working on. That's all. What are you working on? What are you What's working the big on story? right now? Oh, wow. Um, well, I just finished a story about uh, kids in Red Hook learning how to make dance music. Those now. Damn kids. Now. Like the summer program. Oh, that sounds boring. Give me a real hard <laughs> news. No, give me a hard news. Vince. No. <laughs> you got to understand something about this story. You asked can what I, I was working on. Can I tell you the story about the story? Yeah, sure you can. Lauren pitched that story a week ago or two ago, and I had a one-word answer to that story. No. <laughs> that was it. The one-word answer was no. And Lauren came into my office and pleaded with me. She's like, oh, but this is such a nice, it's a feel-good story. Everybody loves and the kids nice want to story. Le- kids want to learn how to read and, uh, and play the music, and it's great. And I'm like, all right, just do the story. All right, oh, really? She wore you down. She wore me down. So, Lauren, just so you know, when I was editor-in-chief of the Brooklyn paper, that kind of thing never happened. No, I know you say, hmm, it never happened. Okay. It happened if I was pitching the story, saying, no, we're going to do a story about this because I want to do it. Anyway, all right, give me the hardest new story you're working on right now because we got a big story well, burning. Big story. From last week, yeah. one of the biggest stories. The guy who got run over by the garbage truck, right? Yes. The guy who got run over by the garbage truck. Ouch. And who are these guys, Lauren? Have you done some research? The Mad Maxes of the street? They are action carding. Yeah, action carding. Have, How many people killed. have they killed? Uh, Five? Five people. And the reason I know that is not because the failing Daily News reported it. Believe it or not, DNA Info kept breaking that story. And here's what happened. For the listeners who don't know, this guy Ramirez was biking. He's a bar back at Paulie G's. Oh, we, go to that, we go to that pizzeria all Paulie the time. Paulie G calls me a senator. Yeah. So he leaves the office. He, he leaves the restaurant one night after working. He gets run over by one of those rogue independent, non-city garbage trucks, action carding. We didn't know that the first day. No. He's no. run down. Now, Lauren, you're out late like I am, hitting the streets, working, playing hard. Am at I the, right? At the Conor Albers concerts at right. Prospect Park. But you work hard, you play hard. Am I right, Lauren? Sure. You've seen these rogue Mad Max independent garbage truck drivers out there, haven't you? Rogue Mad Max. I can't say that I've noticed them. Let me rephrase the question. I have been out there late at night seeing these rogue Mad Max, because I'm my bike, and they don't give a shit. Well, Ramirez, the bar back at Pauly G's, is dead now, and we did a little research. Well, not we, DNA Info. Did a little research. Turns out Action Carding has killed five pedestrians and cyclists over the last few years. And they're, you know what their flack said to DNA Info? Wait, they have flack? Yeah, they have flack. He said, oh, Action Carding is cooperating with this investigation. Oh, really cooperating? Well, they don't have the driver yet. And Action Carding doesn't know who the driver is? Who the, the truck was driving itself? How is that cooperating? Wait That's a second. my question. This was caused by a self-driving truck? <laughs> That's I what knew it this sounds was a like. problem. No, but in all seriousness, Lauren, I'm not blaming you because you're late to the story and that it happens. And it's not really my beat. It's not her, no. Good point. But it's an important story, right. so we thought it was important to cover it. So if Action Carding, if, if the city knows Action Carding is the company that's responsible for the death of Ramirez, and Action Carding says it is cooperating with the investigation, how come Action Carding hasn't told the police, oh, we know who was driving that truck at that time in that neighborhood. It was, you know, Joe Smith, whatever. How come we don't know that? 
Wait a second. Let's not indict Joe Smith okay, just you're yet. Right. It might have been Joe Blow. But how do we not know that? Yeah, it seems like they have something to hide. But it seems no. they're not cooperating at the very least. Yes, right? they're not cooperating. They're clearly not cooperating. Well, thank you, Lauren Gill. Where, where, do, you, where do you stand on that? Do you ever they hear? need to cooperate, especially when you have a record like that. Do you ever hear from community groups at community board meetings? The answer is obviously yes. And people in community groups complain about these rogue Mad Max independent carding drivers. Do they not? Uh, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. So my point is, why is nobody but DNA Info following this story? It is, it is an important story. Well, I mean, and Brooklyn Paper, present company excluded. You guys are covering it too. Why is the failing Daily News and the failing New York Post and the failing New York Times, New York Times of all places, should be covering this story? I would think they would, yes. It's, it's astounding to me. It seems like a lot of cyclist deaths aren't covered by the big That's correct. Um, newspapers. Because, because it's a driving city. And, the, and any cyclist who gets killed, it's like a mosquito that got slapped. And the, and the NYPD also, a lot of the times, doesn't really put out the right information at first. That's correct. That's correct. They almost always... Uh, do you think this is a conspiracy, then? Do you think the NYPD is not um, cooperating with the NYPD? No, I do believe that the NYPD is reflexively pro-car. Now, that doesn't mean they don't eventually get the proper information, but their refle reflex is to blame the cyclist almost always. And in fact, as you know, Lauren, if a cyclist is run down by a motorist under any circumstances, the next day, police are out writing tickets to cyclists. There's always yeah. a crackdown. You've, you've covered that. I read your stuff. Why is Gersh Kuntzman angry right now? Why? Why am I angry? Because we're getting killed out there. And people write me hate mail, Lauren. Oh, the cyclists are the ones who are killing all the pedestrians. Point of information. One, one pedestrian has been killed by a cyclist in, in like the last seven years. One. Whereas... Well, that, that's one too many, Gersh. It is. It is. Literally hundreds, uh, close to a thousand, have been killed by drivers, pedestrians and, and cyclists. So my point is, and we had on Paul Steely White, the apt, aptly named Paul Steely White a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the douchebag quotient. Mm -hmm. Cars have the highest douchebag quotient. They can inflict death much easier than a cyclist and certainly a lot easier than a pedestrian. So any of you people out there complaining about cyclists and pedestrians, Know the douchebag quotient. Know the douchebag quotient. And those rogue Mad Max independent karting drivers, they have the highest douchebag quotient. They got, they're driving a six-ton truck with no regulations in the wild west of New York after hours. That's it. I'm dropping the mic. That's it. That's it. I'm walking out because I've said my piece. I'm done. I've said my piece. Close Are you familiar the with the douchebag quotient? No, I haven't. I'm walking out. You close the show. You close it. All right, listen, that's our show for this week. I want to thank uh, Buzzy O'Keefe for coming on. I want to thank Lauren Gill. I want to thank the, how would I describe Gersh Kuntzman? The angry, angry Gersh Kuntzman, bicyclist Gersh Kuntzman, who is on his way home right now. So he's wearing a red shirt. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>